All right. So I am Kara McDonough and I'm here with my friend Kate Mahoney and we are here with Sister Simone Campbell. And the first thing we wanted to ask you, Sister Simone, is just a simple, how are you doing with all of this? <laughs> that is the question that leads off every conversation, isn't it? Because we're so curious about how, looking, for, at least for me, it's looking for some new ideas about how to address this, how to engage it. Um, I have to say, I'm doing okay. Um, I signed up to be part of a, a part of Kaiser for my healthcare, and they they're doing a study of folks during COVID-19. And every two weeks, they send you a questionnaire. And I realized going through the mental health checklist, hmm, I'm not feeling super depressed. I'm not feeling you know this whole list of things. And well, hey, I'm doing better than I thought. Um, I think the thing that's really hard for me is that our ordinary work of lobbying on Capitol Hill, which is often so personal and relational that it's tough to do nowadays. And uh, it's just, I mean, these Zoom calls, phone conversations, it's, it's just not the same as being able to see people and connect. And I miss that. The other piece that I miss is I hadn't realized how, you know, I travel a fair amount before this and how much work I got done traveling. I did a lot of my best thinking or writing when I was in transit. And then I'm not in transit. So I have to find new, new ways. And so the first two weeks we were working, three weeks, I guess, we were working so hard on all of the issues in Congress that I had no time to think. And finally, I had to, I need to pretend I'm on an airplane, y'all. I, I just had to, put it, had to put it on my calendar so nobody bugged me, you know. So that's been an adjustment for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've done some of my best work on trains. I really believe it. I, I think if there's something about moving that really inspires creativity sometimes. Absolutely. And not being readily available to all of the other demands of life. Yes. Yeah. Huge part, too. That space in your brain opens up when it's not being pulled by others. Yeah. Um, sister, it's so good to see you. And kind of, you answered some of it, but I want to I wanna elaborate on Kara's question. In this time of COVID-19, could you sort of walk us through what a day in your life looks like, like how you're triaging, so to speak, with your team, whether it's delegating or breathing or prioritizing or reviewing? Uh, sure. Oh, and I think the m part of it is, okay, so ordinary work time, I get up at five. Now? Yeah. Well, okay, uh, let, me, let me be honest. <laughs> yeah. my, my radio goes on to NPR at five, and I listen to the news for 15 minutes. And when uh, they say, oh, it's, you know, 5.15 and blah, blah, and uh, that, that's my sign. I have to get up, go, you know, brush my teeth, do all that, and then go do meditation. So I meditate for an hour in the morning. And that for me is like an anchor point. It's really important. And I think of it, I mean, I, I've said this a bunch, but it's, it's like life is a snow globe that's all shaken up. And when it comes to meditation after being shaken, all this, you just put it down and you let it all settle. And then for a brief shining moment, there's clarity sometimes. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. It, and, and so for me, that piece of clarity 
becomes uh, an anchor piece. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, just every now and then, but it's, it, it keeps me going for perspective and care and that kind of thing. So that's until probably about 6.15, 6.30 a.m. And then it's, you know, getting ready, reading the newspaper. I read the newspaper a lot longer than I used to because I, I don't have to commute to work, which is perfect. So I have more time for that. And um, breakfast. And then the work starts, probably about quarter to eight, something like that. But it's all about, and praise God for these Zoom calls, but as well, praise God for the internet that we're able to email each other and engage in back and forth conversation. Uh, we work in various teams at Network. And so we have various meetings that we have during the week. So like just this morning, we had what we call policy messaging circle, where the leads from the government relations uh, communications and our grassroots mobilization come together and we work out the sequencing of, uh, you know, alerts, the messaging for new issues, the testing, you know, what we've heard from the field, uh, what we're hearing on the Hill, those kinds of things. So it's all about there. And then we scatter and do our work. So it's that kind of a dance kind of thing uh, where we come together and then break apart, do our work, come together. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm. It's the rhythm we have during the regular year, but now we're just doing it online. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Like all of us, like all of us are, I think that we're all finding our own rhythms are, are, are you the same and, and completely finding new ways to do things, which hopefully will be some of the, um, some of what we take away from this is what I hope. Absolutely. One of the things that I've discovered is that my memory, uh, I have a very strong geographical sense. And so like, if you ask, you know, our nuns on the bus thing, it, any, just about any stop, I got an email from somebody who was at our Memphis stop in 2015. I immediately remembered Memphis that we were in two different places, all the things that happened. It was, it's like, bam, it's geographic. <laughs> but the downside for that, for that kind of a memory for this is that well, I just keep seeing people in these little boxes and I don't have any any geographic thing to hook them onto. Right. So it's much harder for me to remember who did I have this conversation with and who, yeah. you know, it's just not as anchored in the world. Right. Praise, praise God we have it, but my memory doesn't work as well this way. Right. Old memory, I don't know. No, I, I totally hear that because I, when I interview people, if I'm writing a story about them, there's something about that in-person vibe of it that makes, makes me write a certain way. And I recently interviewed someone over Zoom and it was great and I was so grateful, but it took me like forever to write the story because I just don't think <laughs> I could feel, I couldn't feel it the same way. And I think that that's really, I think that's happening to people. Isn't that, that's so interesting, Carol, because the... And isn't that a piece of what we hunger for is that sense of connected intimacy. And it can happen in an instant. And it's not, it, it's no more than an exchange. Can I give you an example? Is that we, um, you know, we did this series of rural roundtables last year and because we needed to learn about rural America because we're all city folk at Network. And so one of the women from our rural roundtable in Indiana called just as we were shutting down and she's a dairy farmer and works with dairy farmers. And she was just 
in tears because her she was having to dump her milk supply from her herd. And because of that, she wasn't going to get paid. And she could see all these people who needed the milk, but because of the shutdown of schools, that the processing plants that put, I didn't realize 45% of the milk in the country was drunk by kids in school. And yeah. so they all went into these little, you know, half pint or a pint or half pint or whatever. I don't know what the amount, but those small little containers that sure. kids would drink. Well, but the supply chain couldn't change fast enough to do the, to put it into gallons and half gallons that you need for the grocery store. Right. So they were being told to dump the milk. Oh, and she was just like, heartbreaking. yeah, but the thing that I realized was a help to me is that I knew her from before. And yeah. so I, I connected more with her story, with the reality because of that. Right. Does that make sense? So that, so that we rely on that. We rely on the memory of the connection. So I don't know if this thing goes on, you know, another couple of years. Well, what's going to happen to the tactile memories, you know? Yeah, that's such a good question that I think none of us know. I'm just hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping we'll get some breaking news soon about some science that is going to save us all. But, you know, I'm trying to stay real. Lysol. Just Lysol. That's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, that is all we need. <laughs> um, so Kate asked you about a little bit about your day-to-day. Um, -day, and I have, um, I mean, this is a pretty a broader question, but what what you do at network and what you do um, with nuns on the bus and everything else is finding um, finding out ways to use faith for common good for social justice and that's something that's so important to Kate and I because it was so important to our dads and I think we just grew up you know just as that that's that's of what you do it wasn't like it wasn't like something we needed to learn to do it was just that's right. what you do that's why you that's you know maybe not why you go to mass but that is at least for my dad, that was more the message than the message of what was happening inside the church. Um, and I was wondering, again, a broad question, but could you talk a little bit about why, um, how, why and how we can use our faith for social good? Why that's an imperative? Why, um, why, why we do that and, and um, why that's important? Well, it's hugely important in this time because of the the huge need in our society for a values-based response to the needs of people around us. And one of the things that has worried us, or me, for a long time, is the hyper-individualism that only a wealthy society could possibly think that we can go it alone. It was only because we were, we so many people were wealthy, they thought they could do it alone. And what I think this pandemic is, is helping us come to is the recovering the realization that we're a community. We're built to be, to be communal people. We are connected. And um, so I, I like to think that the, 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 the gospel stories of Jesus are always about community and connection and caring for those who are left out, the marginalized, and challenging the leadership to open their eyes to the needs of the marginalized. I mean, when, but what's funny to me is that often those confrontations with the Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaders of this time, get left out 
uh, the weekly readings. <laughs> so you got to go look for them because I think it makes some of our religious leaders nervous that uh, they might be similarly indicted, especially the ones where it's like, you know, Jesus yells at the, the leadership for putting burdens on these marginalized and not doing anything to lift them. Right. Yeah. Who do we know one or two perhaps church leaders that do a similar sort of thing? Mm. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's tough. It's tough to look at the gospel and, you know, use it as, a, as an examine of where we're called. The other piece that's making it easier, though, is Pope Francis speaking of the, the reality of people in our world. And so for me, I find so much nourishment in his uh, reflection on the gospel, reflection on the challenges, the, the struggle, because it's so immediate. It is not about 2,000 years ago. It's about right now. And that faith has right now consequences in that social justice sense. And, and Pope Francis is so clear in, in his letter, Laudato Si, which is all, people like to say it's all about the environment, but what he says is poverty, global poverty, and the, and the um, environmental crisis have the same source, which is exploitation. And until we end the exploitation, we will neither care for the earth nor care for our people. And then I add, in a judgmental fashion, nor be Christian. Let's right. Yeah. Let's be real. Well, it's it strikes me. You know, I don't I don't hear it, and certainly Kara probably doesn't either. I don't hear the judgmental fashion because I look at you in terms of your faith life, your personal life, your professional life fusing together. So I I want to ask. Um, taking your comment about that tactile memory and applying it to the various factions in their attempt to become unified. Can you recall when there might've been the real palpable shift between things, let's say, Karen, I joke about big C Catholics. <laughs> and so let's say it's the pro-life movement or the anti-gay marriage movement when those sort of seemingly eclipsed those other imperative social justice initiatives that come out of the Beatitudes? Like where, where were you maybe when you had your calling in the sisterhood juxtaposed with these different oh, movements? Yeah, well, I never aspired to those movements. Those movements yeah. came up in the late 70s, early 80s as a strate strategic move on the part of the Republican Party to woo yeah. leadership. Okay. So, yeah. And probably some of it existed even earlier than that because there's stories from when Kennedy ran for uh, for president, you sure. know, Kennedy's reported to say when you're having a choice between going to see a group of bishops and see a group of Catholic sisters, he said, no, I'm choosing the sisters. They're the Democrats. <laughs> Excellent. Leadership, leadership's the Republicans. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> So it, it probably existed longer than I than I know. Yeah. But but for me, the the gospel cannot be confined to a single issue that then condemns individuals. And and I think what I learned, I, I think this is a product of a contemplative practice that I've done you know, I've been a Catholic sister more than 50 years, so I've been doing this a long time. So the, the spiritual practice of being open of meditation 
opens us to realities that are way deeper than the rules. And um, so being open to that hunger for the sacred is also a hunger for justice. Because once you hunger for the sacred, then anything that violates the dignity of people or our planet, that's a sin. And so it leads to that then hunger for justice for me. But I made an error. <laughs> and can I put, I have a book coming out. Hopefully, hopefully they'll be able to print it. We'll see. Oh, away. It's all ready to go. But um, it's coming out from Orbis Press. It's called Hunger for Hope. But the, um, the thing that I try to speak about in that is the intersection of a contemplative practice, community, and the quest for justice. And it's that uh, fact, that intervening fact of community is, I think, what breaks it open. So as long as we're busy on one side just being judgmental because of my faith and don't have to interact with anybody who's alive and real, we can be really righteous. And Lord knows I can get tempted to that myself. But the, um, but the challenge is then to take the communal lived experience with a broken heart. We have to let our hearts be broken. And if our hearts are broken open, then we can do justice in this more ample way. The folks that I met that are really on that judgmental narrow side don't have broken hearts. Yeah. And they, they resist a broken heart. So... I think uh, um, to be faithfully Christian requires brokenheartedness. That's what the Beatitudes are about. Blessed Thank are those who weep and yeah. mourn. Yeah. I love that. Everything you just said, it was very hard for me not to just write it all down. But we're recording this, but it's okay. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love all of it. And I love, I love the idea of, of what you said about meditating and falling into something um, and letting yourself hunger. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's, that's not something I feel like I've heard enough in, in my experiences with Catholicism. And I'm so happy mm. to hear you say it. It's, it. I think it opens it up to so much more. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a whole world. That, it's so exciting. The world's out there. But we, we need to nourish the hunger and weeping. I, I I had this experience uh, two years ago now, I think. I went to the border um, on an immigration piece. We went down to El Paso and um, the with the American Federation of Teachers, AFT. It was a mix of teachers and, and uh, spiritual leaders. It's because Randy Weingarten, who's the head of AFT, is married to a rabbi. So wow. they, created, they created this dual things, which was great. And my job, we were going downtown in El Paso to the courthouse and then out to Tornillo to the uh, detention center for kids. And so my job, the, the faith folks were supposed to be uh, at the Tornillo site and the teacher activists were going to be at the courthouse. So fine, it's not my, it's not my speaking part. Great, I'm participating, I'm there. But it just broke my heart that law was being used to persecute people. And I, I'm a lawyer. I became a lawyer to use law for justice. 
And here law was being used for injustice. And I just started to cry. So I, I walk away, I didn't have a speaking part. I walked away, I'm standing in the back, I'm weeping. And all of a sudden I hear my name being called. And it turned out Randy, who likes our stuff, wanted me to come and speak to the press conference. Swift. <laughs> How great. <laughs> my best self, tears running down my face. Yes, yes, red nose, so lovely. That's gonna be great. Um, but I did, and but I had nothing prepared, and so my whole thing was my my whole thing always is come Holy Spirit, may they hear what they need, and um, so the what I I had nothing else to say, so I just talked about why I was weeping, and it turned out to be one of the most picked up, powerful, responded to pieces, but it was for me it was clearly the spirit but it was also the brokenheartedness and being willing to be publicly brokenhearted, vulnerable. So then, of course, me, I'll think about, well, maybe we ought to have a, a ministry of weeping on the quarters. What do you think? <laughs> well, that never happened. But, you know, it's, it's, that, it, it's that intersection of authenticity and the, the support and uh, nourishment of faith that I think is some of what we hunger for and that we only know it in our need. We don't know it when we're feeling full up and quite smart and ready to go and I've got the plan and it's only in need that we know it. Yeah. You're so right about that in terms of the, you know, the models we know are the only models we know, but you have this beautiful curiosity. So your model becomes more and more informed as you meet with these different groups of people and start to take, not take on their needs as a burden, but act as that bridging of the gap to help solve the problems. You know, um, I'm so appreciative to you for that work. Um, you mentioned going to the detention center and the border. And I have to admit, when I watch the coverage of what's going on in the news today, it still seems like the loudest voice is, is about the either the white or the wealthy or some combination of the two. What is network and where are you in terms of what's going on with those young children still in the detention centers. It, uh, whether, whether it's a knowledge you have in context of COVID-19 or just where we are today. Oh, Glory. Uh, our big work is to change the law. Yeah. And the blindness and the manipulation by polit politicians for their own benefit of blaming those who do such important frontline work for us that they've been doing this before um, any of the COVID-19, but finally with COVID-19, we're beginning to recognize, oh my heavens, you know, you have all these DACA kids doing you know, frontline work in the hospitals. You have all the agricultural workers. We have all of the immigrants in the meat processing plants. I mean, that's been true for years, but we have, in our wealth, have chosen, we the rulers, have chosen to ignore it. Mm -hmm. And so what we've tried to do is to uh, lift up the stories, put pressure to change the law, uh, to ensure that the law is administered with dignity and properly, the work of this administration to undermine 
uh, international treaties, to undermine international agreements, to violate the asylum uh, processes that we agreed to uh, in a multilateral treaties. I, I mean, it's horrifying, horrifying. And um, so part of our work is to lift it up, to try to change the law, but it's also to say elections matter. Just saying, elections matter. And we have one coming up on November 3rd that I, I probably say this every time, but this time I really, really mean it. This is the most important election, I think, of my life. Agreed. And as I have admitted, I'm old, so that's saying quite a bit. So the, um, I, I think one of the key ways of dealing with the horror of this scapegoating immigrants and of creating an easy target to feel united around. It's all about trying to create a political reality of unity, which is not true and could be called something else if this weren't such a public forum. Um, nice. the, uh, <laughs> the, so restrained, so restrained. But, uh, but it is an effort at political control. That if you've got your focus on an enemy out there that you can fight, then you don't worry about what's happening to you. And the exploitation of our people over and over and over, the flatness of wages, the undermining of the economy, the lack of health care. I mean, it goes on and on. But if we feel like we're under attack, that's the only thing we've known for 20 years. It's horrifying, horrifying. So we got to make a change. Yeah, right, right. Thank you for that and for all that and for all that work. Um, and speaking of all that work, one other thing we were curious about is, you know, coronavirus aside, although it can't be aside, it's just part of all of this. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about what's next for you, you told us about your book, which is very exciting and I wish you good luck in getting it out there. Um, Printed. Printed yeah, it first. I, know. I can't, I just, the effects on every single aspect of mm. our lives are, it's, 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 it, I mean, it, it obviously makes me think of those less fortunate and those who are really, really struggling, but it just is shocking how up and down the chain this goes and, and the strange things it affects. Mm -hmm. um, but if you could tell us a little bit about it, maybe anything exciting that network is up to that you'd like to mention that you you'd like to talk about um uh maybe you know anything about your book or i'm assuming the nuns are not going on the bus anytime soon because of this i don't know if they were going to <laughs> okay the, let me deal with the bus first um <laughs> the the thing is Okay, last fall, people started, well, what's the bus going to do? What's the bus? I said, no, 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 no. This is the thing. If we're led by the Spirit, then we sit. The bus was a gift of the Spirit. It had nothing to do with that. I mean, we were just the instruments. So it was a gift of the Spirit. So rather than, and, and the two things that shut down the contemplative life are fear. And the second is holding on, grasping. And so I've tried not to hold on to the bus because it's total gift. Totally. I love the bus. I would do buses forever. They're so much fun. <laughs> they're a heck of a lot of work and exhausting, but they're fabulous. But sitting open-handed, I kept saying, no, we've got to be open. We have to see where we're led by the Spirit. So uh, I think where we're being led by the Spirit is that we can't do a bus. And, uh, and what's interesting to me is that there was no spark. There was no last, when we did it in 18, 
when we got the idea of on the road to Mar-a-Lago, it just makes me laugh. It makes me laugh till the day. Friends on the yeah. bus on the road to Mar-a-Lago, all about tax policy. It was fantastic. So, um, so it, it's not quite clear what the substitute or what our election work is going to be, though I have an, a new idea that's just germinating, but we'll see how it springs you know it's going to need to be more virtual it's going to need to be more online but i've got a couple ideas that might make it interesting that's that's what we need is interesting but in the meantime we've got our election toolkit up and what we're really going to are trying to do is to get our people to become missionaries for the common good where they talk to their neighbors because the most effective persuasion is not tv ads is not msnbc or fox or cnn it's people talking to people. And so that's where we want to impact is in a people to people approach in critical states. Um, obviously, where, where Catholics can make a difference because most of our people are Catholics, not all. I mean, we're probably about 75% Catholic and uh, in our membership. And so those really important states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, um, who am I leaving out? Mm-hmm. And then we get states that are critical for the Senate, like um, Colorado, Arizona. Uh, But the the Senate map is expanding. And I have a friend running for Senate in Georgia. So I'm hoping that maybe we could be... Catholics aren't... There aren't so many Catholics in Georgia, but we could help. That doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Uh, North Carolina... Okay, so then you get... Maine, maybe, but North Carolina, Georgia, Kansas. We just did a thing in Kansas trying to help get Medicaid expanded. And uh, so it was, uh, we had a le- another nun's letter and put a lot of pressure on them. We were kind of successful. We got a lot of PR and I became, uh, for a little bit, I was an email buddy with the governor. Trying to, she didn't know. We got 76 uh, sisters from Kansas to sign the letter from all over Kansas. Wow. And she said, I didn't know there were so many sisters in Kansas. <laughs> but anyway, it was what we could do. So, so there's some exciting things out there. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Is part of that election packet, um, Will, will there be a component that sort of speaks to the history of the bully pulpit? You know, we're seeing, we get a lot of coverage of these conversations between the Cardinals and the current administration, but like you're acknowledging the governors and we have the, this down ballot situation going into November too. And those seem to be like, you speak to neighbor to neighbor, but there's the parish to parish and all of that. So um, forgive my ignorance for not knowing what's in the packet, but can you speak to that? Yeah, um, you know, we're less parish-based yeah. because we're, you know, it's, it's just a broad membership base. And often we're a haven for folks who share our perspective and are a little frustrated with what we talked about earlier, the polarization within the church. Yeah. So we don't use a, a parish model. Well, one of the things that's so fabulous with Pope Francis is we have all this opportunity. So I was on a call last night and, and I was thinking, well, we should invite our bishops to a conversation. Let's have a conversation about Pope Francis's exhortation on holiness. And what do we find challenging? Wouldn't that be fascinating? Because Pope Francis uses the Beatitudes as the 
examine of conscience. And then he talks about um, the, uh, what, how does he put it, uh, signs, oh, signs of holiness in the 21st century. And you know what they, I mean, it's just so fabulous that one of them is um, perseverance, that we persevere in this. One's joy and a sense of humor. Now, when did anybody ever talk about that as a sign of holiness? I, that gives me great hope. Uh, another is passion and boldness. Passion and boldness. Another is doing it in community. And the fifth one is living in constant prayer. And wouldn't that be fascinating to have a mixed conversation of ordained, non-ordained, Catholic sisters, lay folks, everybody together talking about, well, how do you live this out? Where do you see it? Wouldn't that be cool if we had a flourishing of holiness and that kind of thing? Yes. I think it'd be fabulous. But Way more accessible to people. I think it would be fabulous too. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. You heard but, it here. But, oh, <laughs> well, I know Kate has a couple more, or maybe one more, really good questions. I think <laughs> I have a couple more broad, you know, everyday ones, but I think Kate's got some good ones, especially considering her own personal situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, first I want to say you met my mom a couple of months ago with Sister Monica in Albany. And oh, yes. So we watched your solidarity on tap last night. And you, when you made your qu comment about queendom, my <laughs> mom and I were just cheering. We thought that was so great. So thanks for that. But, oh, you're um, welcome. <laughs> Yeah, admittedly, your familial relationship with Kara goes back, and Kara and I have known each other since we were 12. Part of my story is that I had a recovery of multi-system organ failure that was attributed to Sister Marianne Cope, ultimately St. Marianne. And so selfishly, I just would like to know what your thoughts are on the word miracle what it means to be a miracle, have a miracle, see a miracle. Because I know similar to Kara's upbringing, my, I was raised that faith and humanity and culture and politics all inform and infuse one another. So I came into that experience not really thinking that one needed to be elevated any more than another, but coming out of a coma and having that label slapped on changed um, some of that experience for me. So I just want to know what you think. Wow, that's, that's a really, what a powerful story and how important to reflect on it. I think I'm more aware of the, well, let, no, first, let, let me put it in another context. Okay, so um, my blood sister, Katie, uh, when she was 15, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease and given three to five years to live. And I was a year and a half older than her. So we were very close. And we had, um, everybody gave us every conceivable thing. We had various relics and Mother Cabrini, they were trying to canonize her. And then we've got Lourdes water. My mother sort of joked, she didn't know when she went by our bedroom if she should genuflect or, you know, cause it was all there, you know. So the, but my sister died. And the, but I think for me, the thing that I've, I have thought about that whole spiritual journey is more about a 
freedom, an open-ended freedom, a freedom to be fully who we are. And if it's living or dying, then it's still fully alive. And that has changed my, um, well, well, and because my sis, because my sister died and she and I were so close, I also have a sense that I picked up some of her spirit. And so in a sense, I live intensely. You might've noticed this. I live a little intensely, but um, I sort of live for two people in a way. And I realized that when I was writing my first book that it was like, oh, wow, yeah. I, I'm not stopped by anything, but it's because of picking up Katie's spirit as well as my own. Yeah. So knowing that there's not boundaries, isn't that the biggest miracle of all? To not be stopped. Yeah. To live fully. And I don't know, all the other details, mm, I'm not so good on. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, all of these years later, I am sorry for the loss of your sister and so grateful that you have this perspective to live for two in a culture that kind of honors maternity in very different ways. That's a very powerful thing to say. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Agreed. And I'm also sorry for your loss all these years later. That's so beautiful. That's such a beautiful sentiment. I love it. Again, yeah, she was a great. She was great. She was a great person. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Well, we said that it would be about forty-five minutes, and we're kind of nearing that time. So um, I don't know if Kate has anything else pressing. Uh, of, of course, um, uh, I'm going to allow her to do that. You know, we're all allowed to do whatever. There's no time anymore. I feel like anyway, it's just, you know, it's all the same day. Um, but I did want to just, um, one last thing I wanted to ask, and again, this is sort of a general question, but um, I think especially now, but for me, I'm gonna just you know get selfish also, just for me, there's just days, and they, they're, not, they're not only now, they're always, where I am wondering, what, what do I do? Like, I really feel like this is a, a, a crazy time where, leadership is 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 really infuriating for a lot of people on a lot of levels um, politics is infuriating how to use our faith in a, a way that's right and um, socially just is is difficult um and i'm wondering if you have any and i i really i'm wondering really if you have any practical tips anything that you when you're feeling floundering or when people you know are floundering and saying what do i do what do i do to make it better do you have an answer to that? And it's okay if you don't. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's just a little thing and sometimes it's so hard to find. It, it is, it is, but, but part of the, it's part of the process of refinement and it's part of letting go of control for me. Yeah. It, it's that I think I ought to be able to manage this and take care of it and know the next step and be in charge. It doesn't work that way. And so for me, what I, what I refer to is in meditation is like deep listening. And often my listening is uh, preceded by this little small voice inside of me going, help, help, help. <laughs> and, and then listen to what you hear and then trust it. Um, because the, we don't pay attention enough to those small voices. 
Um, and we think we ought to have manage it, take care of it, be in charge. I am a grown up, you know. I should be in charge. We should respond to the movement of the spirit in this time, especially in times of crisis like this, because no predictable guaranteed response is going to work. Right. I don't think. Yeah. But listen deeply, listen deeply. And then in that moment, it'll come clear. And, and don't insist on the, you know, I want the whole atlas of where it's going to end up. No, 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 no. It's just the next step. That's all we need. Like for you all, the, I mean, this podcast, the next step. What a glorious step. Perfect. Let's see where it leads. Could yeah. be exciting. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. I love that. I really needed that. I am very guilty of not listening to the voice and just getting really busy. And so that is great advice. Well, you have your hands full. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I definitely do. We all do. <laughs> well, you could do speed meditating, you know, just kind of like, and then two minutes, let it wait. It'll come. I'm, I'm going to try it. I love it. Well, Kate, I don't know if you have other questions or I think this was a great conversation and we are so grateful that you talked to us and it was so easy. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, it's fun. That's one thing about now is that you can find me. It's easier to find me. So Yeah, I know. It's, it is. It's kind of funny. We all are very easy to find. We have to come up for new excuses to get off the phone and whatnot. We never have anything going on. <laughs> my, my mother's calling me. I have to go now. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Sister Simone, and thank you, Kate, and um, stay well. Can I, can I do one plug for us? Please. If folks are interested in our intersection of uh, faith and politics and living out of our uh, Catholic social justice, if folks don't know us, to go uh, online at networklobby.org. It's all one word, networklobby.org. And follow me on Twitter, which is oh, SR. <laughs> SR underscore Simone, S-I-M-O-N-E. Um, I'm always looking for more folks to be connected with. And then we're on Facebook and all that other stuff too. You can look us up. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll definitely Thank encourage so to find much. you. Thank you so much and have Thank a great you. day and keep up the good work. You too. Keep it up. We're Thanks. counting on that. All right. Bye everybody. Bye.